0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back and welcome to our third season of Backport Stories with Chuck Stead. We're going to do it until we get it right. (laughs) That's right. So, ladies and gentlemen, so happy that you're here again with Scott Lewis, our music maestro who uh, does the music for the opening and closing of the show, also Chuck Stead, and we have Joe Rosalin back again today. So glad that Joe is here. He's uh, connecting through Zoom, but uh, hopefully you won't notice hardly any difference at all in the sound. That's, uh, that's what we're shooting for here. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here's Chuck Stead.
1: Thank you, Joe. This one is called... Return of heebie Uncle Mal used to say porches were for telling stories. He told us that Pop dead. my grandpop, the old Heebie-Jeebie man, used to say that was the loss of community when they started building houses without porches. Front porches were where you met and you jabbered, chewed the fat. Back porches were where you hunkered down. They were more personal. I suppose that's why Ricky and me, we decided to go out back. You see, I was seven years old when I'd come to believe that my grandfather, the heebie man, had taken residence in my closet. Actually, I felt him under the bed first. I wasn't sleeping well. Tessie, my mom, charged upstairs and offered me a bedtime story. This was one of her quickies. That's what she called them, a quickie, told during the commercial break of the Danny Thomas show. Tessie's stories, the quickies, were entirely uneventful but if you could get her into some gossip about her side of the family, it was genuine oral history. Anyway, she flopped down onto the bed with me and proceeded to offer that old chestnut about the boy who catches a boot when he goes fishing, is teased mercilessly by his companions only to dump out a fish from the boot. The bed I slept in was the last bed to house Grandpop. It was an old iron-framed hospital bed. It slung in the middle much like a hammock. Tessie nudged me over to the side of the wall as she quoted the fishing boy's friends teasing him about the boot he just caught. I turned to my right side with my back to the wall and that's when I felt him. He tickled me with his three-fingered hand and I caught the scent of his sugary sweet chocolate breath riding the burnt odor of his cigar. He was under the bed. So I reasoned. He must have been living in the closet all this time. I didn't say a thing about it to Tessie. When I told Ricky Cramshaw, we decided to wait up for him. So one night, long past the sounds of others moving about in the house, we waited for hours. We pinched each other just to stay awake. And then, before dawn, we crept downstairs out to the back porch. It was cool gray with a slick of sweat on my eyelids. We heard the soft thump of cars passing on the throughway, and a dusty, wet scent sucked up into my nose. That's where we waited for my grandfather. Four years dead, but very much alive. Around the side of the house, Hebe jeebie came. He shuffled along. His head bowed down deep in consideration. I sat up on the edge of the porch, and I stared hard at him. He was there. He stopped short, and he took me in. Over my right shoulder, I heard the sound of Ricky Cramshaw's soft little snoring. It was dawn. Just beyond heebie head was the eastern sky it took on a yellow rust of the late summer morning. The old man slipped his gnarly paws deep into his chouser pockets and he studied me. My voice worked its way around some words. Ain't you dead? Do I look dead? He didn't. Dead for me was the shriveled carcass of a dog clobbered and withered by the side of the road. Dead for me was the bony fingers of slate-gray maple branches scratching at a late mad moon sky. And it was the evenly colored face of a heebie-jeebie that once laid to rest at a funeral. But none of these things were finished. I saw the dog eaten by vultures. They lived on. I saw the spindly fingers of the maple nudge forth a colored bud in the moon of the grass time, the grass moon. And now I saw a heebie scowling at me four years after he died. No, dead didn't seem much finished anymore. It carried on somehow. He looked toward Mackintosh's yard, and he sighed. Just catching up with your grandmother. I love that woman. I pushed out some more words. But what do I do? He looked at me. His face was raw and leather-like, but soft and gentle with age. He had the faintest of mustache feathered along the top of his lip. He smiled a slight row of borrowed teeth. He said, Listen to your folks. Eat your beans. Do good work. A cool morning breeze swept in off the manure pile, and we both looked that way. There through the muck, the wall, and the slope of the mountain was a trail I had never seen before. Gotta get after her. Gotta follow my woman. He looked at me, puckered up his mouth, and said, "'Behave yourself, boy. I'll be around.' He walked across the yard and up the trail. I watched him go, and I felt a part of me going with him. Then as the trail dissolved back into the manure pile, I looked down at Ricky. "'Rick!' I shouted, and Ricky Cramshaw's face bore down upon me. "'Chucky! Chucky! He was just here! Your grandpa! i, I just seen him! I mean, i seen him in a dream! He'd come around the side of the house getting after your grandma!' And he told me to eat beans and he walked through the horse manure.
0: What I would give for one single moment, one minute of a dream like that, it's hard for it to even describe. Mm. Yeah. That's uh that's very special. So you it's a gift really when, when that happens. I, I know my, my sister Maggie and Eileen from time to time will say that they that Rosie came to them in a dream or my mother um just hasn't happened for me but boy that would be nice yeah i've i've been waiting for that for a long time
2: too for a, a bunch of different people and uh it's very easy to imagine that that's how it should be and as a as a writer as a um you know, feeling person, you want that to be the case. Sure. So it's uh, it's nice to hear when <laughs> when that happens for
0: people. <laughs> How about you, Joe? Have you ever had that opportunity?
2: I have several times <clears throat> in dreams, and just even um, smelling smelling my grandfather, smelling my father. You know, who both passed. Yeah. And hearing them, hearing their voices, and in dreams, them coming to me too. Yeah not something i ask for but it
0: does happen you know there was one one incident that i recall um that you you mentioned smell and smell is is a tremendous uh you know it it evokes memory it's it's connected in the same part of the brain as as memory is and um there was this little harmonica that my father got into playing every once in a while you know, just something he got a kick out of. He was a very musical guy. He loved to sing and things like that. And he uh, he had this little harmonica. So I that was one of the few things I kept. You know, after his passing, and it was up in my closet. And we're talking now. Dad passed in 1993, so we're getting on 30 years now. Seems impossible, but. I opened this harmonica up, you know, and I just kind of looked at it for a minute. And then I went to play it. And, of course, you know, you bring it up to your mouth. And, and his smell was still in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it just, I, it shocked me. I literally pulled away from it like, that can't be. Yeah. It's been so many years. But apparently it can be because it was. And uh, it was just, uh, it's a good feeling. You know, you, there's still a connection. And, you know, they never leave you. Never. Mm-hmm. you know. They're always, I can't think of a day that I can't hear his voice at some point during the day or her voice, my mom or my dad, uh, saying something wise or giving me a shove because I'm acting like a jerk or something like that. <laughs> telling me, come on, you know, get over yourself. Stop that, you know. But, uh, yeah, <clears throat> boy.
2: I had an incident with, um, after my grandmother had passed, she was still being laid out. We were coming back from the funeral home that night. And my grandmother used to use mothballs all over the house. So that was a smell. My brother, sister and I were standing out in front of my mother's house in Garfield. My grandmother lived in East Elmland Park. And in the middle of the street, we were both standing there. we got a real strong whiff of mothballs. And that's how both the... looked at each other. Yeah, we both wow. looked at each other. We all wow. three of us looked at each other and said, this is, this is weird. This is very weird. And <laughs> we're in the middle of the street outside. And we smell a strong smell of mothballs at night.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You probably tossed a few around just to just to remind you. I'm still here. I'm keeping an eye on you guys.
1: I'm
2: not going anywhere.
1: You know. You know. I. Uh, that was a, a very strong. I was seven. A very strong uh, image and and uh, dream. Assuming that Ricky and I had the exact same dream was very uh, intense. And and he went and told his grandmother, who said, "Well, that's because it really happened." And I went and told my mother, and she said, "That's because it never happens like that." Because she ah. was afraid of it, and uh, I I continued to chat with Hebe G B for a long time, um, and Tessie was worried about that, and she would talk to Walt about it, and and he had no problem, and when she pressed him, he would say, "Well, I do too," so, <laughs> so she'd get, she'd get upset with him, and she one time told Grandma Kylie Aggie, yeah, uh, Grandma Agatha, and uh, and Grandma Kylie t- told Tessie. Have him stop that. Mm. And, you know, Tessie, I mean, Grandma Aggie said something, you know. Yeah. And uh, so she, she, she didn't tell me to stop it, but she tried to talk reason to me mm. in a way that would encourage me to stop it. And it had the opposite effect. And after a while, I think she gave up because she realized it was having the opposite effect. And, you know, when Muffin got a hold of this, then that became something else to battle about. But it did stop for me when I became an adolescent. Mm-hmm. It, it, that sensibility or that sensation that I'm, you know, hanging out with my grandfather once in a while, or he's giving me advice about something like you say, and give me a little shove to do something. I became an adolescent and with adolescence, I pretty much lost that. And interestingly enough, it came back to me in my thirties. Mm. And that was when I nearly uh, passed from a appendicitis attack. Wow. And, uh, and it came back and it's drifted in and out kind of, a lot, you know? So, I mean, it's not, not right now. I don't sense him sitting here listening to us and I think he'd be bored by us, but, but, uh, but it did kind of find its way back. And, and I wonder if that has to do with it, that closeness to a, a physical scenario, you know, that, that can take you out, that um, impacts upon your sensibilities that are all connected because all these things are connected, you know?
0: You know, we're, we're, we're spiritual beings. Yeah. We, we really are. I I always used to like what Wayne Dyer used to say, uh, the late Wayne Dyer. He would say that uh, your life here on earth is just a parenthesis in eternity. Hmm. This is just a moment that you're having, but you were here way before you, you got here physically, and you'll be here many, many millennia past the time that you leave. And I really like the feeling of that, that... that uh, there was an opportunity at least for us to, you know, maybe get some things right, even if we didn't get them right while we were here and, and hopefully maybe help, maybe help someone in some way, shape or form. I I don't know. You know, it's, it's an unknowable thing, obviously, until, until it happens, until it is knowable. Um, And I think while you're here, it's, it's somewhat unknowable, but I, I like to think that it's possible.
1: Well, Rabbi Shanker, you know, uh, George Harrison's mentor, Ravi Shanker, uh, he said something like that. He said, I'm "Trying to, I'm paraphrasing now, but he said something to the effect of, while you're here, you get to do things that you don't get to do when you're there. And when you're there, you get to do things that you don't get
0: to do when you're here.
1: Hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I like
0: that. That worked for yeah. me. Yeah, I remember once my mom, uh, this is, right after my dad uh, passed away and I, you know, she was in one moment. It was really the night that he died. Um, You know, we had just left Arden Hill hospital over here in Goshen and uh, that's where he passed and come back. And it was really hard for everybody because he was such an ebullient man, very effusive, very uh, Mm -hmm. loving. And, <clears throat> and now he was gone. All of a sudden, gone in a way that we never really felt before, and um, it hit her. All of a sudden, it just hit her, and she kind of collapsed on her on her bed and just was crying inconsolably. And I sat down next to her and, you know, tried to rub her shoulders and, and get her. And and I just it just came to me, and I said, "Mom, he's here." He's here. I can feel him. He's still here. He'll always be here. And she just sighed and slowly was able to recapture herself. And before I left that night, she just said, thank you. And I think that that's what we need. We need to know that these wondrous, beautiful people with all their perfections and all their imperfections never leave us. They are a part of us. They're, they're in the fabric of our, our humanity and our being. And, and maybe that makes it a little bit easier when the losing time comes, when they, when they do pass on from this physical existence, this parentheses in eternity, to know that, that there's a part of them that exists with us forever and, and we'll be okay. We'll be all right.
1: Remember I told you about Karen, the hot dog girl at the paint shop?
0: Yeah. And right. she
1: was, I didn't tell you guys about her, but she was a palmist. Her, her mother was a famous palmist down in Atlantic City. And uh, so one time I offered her my palm. I was hanging out. She was pretty. It was fun to hang out with. Her. And I offered her my palm and I took it all as a kind of a gag, you know. And she looked into my hand and she said, oh, you have a guiding spirit, a presence. Oh, he's 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 an elder. Oh, you've had him. And she starts talking about him. And she was describing my grandfather. And uh, and that was, again, when I was in my 20s. So that was a time when I was past adolescence and maybe I had the opportunity to, you know, return to those kinds of sensibilities a bit. But um, anyway, next week, the story is called Without Knowing Any Prayers. Hmm. And I just realized we're continuing the theme here. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, yeah.
0: Good. we've got some Walt and Tessie talking about religion next week. You know, we've gotten <laughs> to know uh, muffin a little bit and Joan over the last few weeks. How, how did they, how did they deal with the passing of, of your mom and your dad? How was it? for yeah, them? It was rough. Yeah, it
1: was rough. It was, everything was rough. I, I, Tessie you know, went first and, uh, and that was rough. That was difficult. And, uh, but Walt was still there. And, uh, and, and actually when Walt passed, that was rough, but there was a sense of completion that they were together. Mm. There was, you know, so there was a certain sense of, you know, it's come full cycle now. Yeah. And, um, and then we had to deal with the property, with the house. And, uh, cause you know, we reversed mortgage and we had to now sell it and, sure. and that got a little difficult because you know you you have so much attachment to this physical sure, thing that you're now getting you know moving beyond and that was rough
0: it houses all your memories yep all yep. the places and everything it's very difficult mm-hmm. i know with the uh, you know several of my brothers had a very difficult time when my uh, mom passed and uh and i understood it it was rough i'm sure it was very rough for them too mm-hmm. Just is if not more rough and you know, it's a difficult time because you you love each other, you really do, you know. But you are just so. There is an anger that comes with loss.
1: Yeah, and I also think it helps oh, yeah. bring you together. The siblings come together. Um, you, you know, you have all these petty reasons for, you know, conflict, and then you you have this galvanizing event happen in your life, and you come together, just naturally, do to, I guess, to seek comfort. But it, it's also a matter of to to build upon whatever legacy is there. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, did you say something?
2: I agree with what you said. Oh, yeah. It's it is difficult. It is difficult. The memories, you know, when you're disassembling a house that you grew up in, it's just hard. I have issues with that. I
1: really yeah, do. yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's really not easy because it's not just a living room or a kitchen. It's the place where you lost your first tooth, you know. It's it's all those things, you know. It's it's the simple and the, and, the, and the magnificent and the huge and the tiny, but there, it's all those things. Well, I made a mistake because after we sold it some years later, the, the owner
1: that we, the person we sold it to was, had it on the market. So I decided to go back and, and see Ooh. it. And, um, and, of course, wow. they made whatever changes they needed to make. And, of course, I didn't agree with them, even if they were nice, because, you know, you're whitewashing the staging of my childhood. That was definitely a mistake. You don't go back. You don't go back and look at it again if it's not if it's not your environment anymore. Yeah, I,
0: I think about this more now than I used to. I yeah. am seventy-one
2: for, for obvious reason, right? You know, I'm seventy-one.
0: <laughs> uh, just was with a, a dear friend of mine, uh, Don Elliker, who um, I went to high school with, and uh, just this past Friday night, you know, we went out and grabbed some dinner with he and his wonderful wife Victoria and my wife Karen and he was turning 70 and at one point I just looked at him you know just thinking the kind of shenanigans and crazy things we did when we were in high school you know and here it is 54 years later and I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking even though all this time has passed it's still us Mm -hmm. we're still here Mm -hmm. we're still having fun he's Funny as can be, he's got an incredible uh, wit about him, and he's he's quite a a performer. I mean, he can do so many voices and everything. He he should have been a comedian, but um, but he it it was kind of at first almost a little bit kind of shocking that you can't believe that this much time has passed. But then the, the, it's reassuring, you know, that we're still here, we're still friends, we're still connected. But I, I worry about my kids. I, how will they handle the inevitable? I, I know they don't like to talk about it, and I don't blame them. But it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's definitely going to happen. I, that much I'm absolutely. The so one sure thing about. we all have in common. Yeah, so. right. right? <laughs> um, yeah, and I think my biggest thing. I I kind of I have a sense that my my eldest son James will be the the rock uh, that he's always been, and he'll be there. They will all be there for for Karen. He'll be the one that kind of holds it all together. Uh, I think it's going to be rougher Rich because we have a, a kind of a, a visual relationship, one that everybody sees, and then we have an unspoken relationship. Both of us know it. It's just there, and, and I, I love it. Um, I don't know what my daughter's going to do. Uh, it's going to be very tough for her um, because of the relationship that a father and a daughter have is something really mysterious and wonderful and and very hard but i hope when it does happen that she remembers what i've been saying from the start in this particular episode uh i will be there Mm -hmm. i absolutely will be there i'll figure out a way and that's never going to change never we we getting deep today. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, it's funny you say that about your daughters.
2: I have three daughters. Yeah. I have three daughters and I'm thinking about having that conversation with them this season.
0: Yeah.
2: I've never had that conversation with them and I think, you know, I'm 65 and I'm realizing I'm looking at less years in front of me than I did behind me. Mm-hmm. So, it's kind of time to, you know, sit them down and talk about what i think and what they think and what's going to, what's going to happen you know and yeah. this conversation that neither of us want to have but i feel like it's it's necessary
0: right now it might might help to have it with them together so they mm-hmm. have each other. oh yeah but, yeah the three of them together there may you may find that one of them absolutely cannot does not want to deal with that right now it does not want to talk about it right and uh i understand that i totally do i i know with with emily uh it's not something she wants to talk about. And I totally understand that. But, uh, you know, it's going to happen. And you want to, you just want them to know it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay.
2: Right. You know? I mean, I, I watched my father take his last breath. He passed away just about three years ago, surrounded by my mother and my two siblings. And it was, people think I'm nuts when I say this, but it was, it was almost like a gift to be able to be present there Mm -hmm. at the death, just as like it was a gift for me to be present at the birth of my children. Mm -hmm. It really, for me, it really, really completed this cycle of life. I I, intellectually, I knew it, but still physically I had to experience it. It was pretty mind
0: blowing. Joe, that says it all. What you just said, I, I totally understand and get what you're saying because I've had a similar experience, uh, with my dad and my mom. And, uh, but that's so true. Right at that moment of passing, there is something mm-hmm. profound. I don't know how else to put it.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It there's no words. You just the experience you know I know what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying.
1: Whoa. Oh. <laughs> what well, a lovely
2: couple. Of, what a bright conversation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but it has to be said. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll trim a little of this because
0: <laughs> otherwise people are liable to drive right off the road crying. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think they. I think we all get it. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just one of those things. Well, life,
2: you know? go, life, goes on too. I mean, yep. it's part of that cycle. We can. It's hard, but as we can understand it, it gets. It'll get us. Get us through those. Those. And time. and I, the time, I, was you know?
1: a, I was the one to fix the house in order for us to actually sell it. And boy, did I find a lot of stuff that was undone and needed huh. to be fixed so that oh, it could yeah. be properly sold. That had been Jimmy rigged. For decades, but couldn't be sold in this state. And it took me probably four and a half months of constant work to get all of that done. The best was the sewer pipe. My dad had the drainage pipe, an old cast iron pipe that ran down into the septic. We had a septic in the backyard. And I I moved some boxes that he piled on it and found that the top of the pipe had split decades earlier. It was open. And what he had done was he filled it with tar. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> so it was like gum it's like a chewing gum in the, in the hole in the dam and you could see areas where it the tar had been getting moist and it's like what the hell <laughs> how do i fix this <laughs> and i had to keep bringing uh, uh luke bauer luther bauer from sloatsburg keep bringing him in and we wound up replacing water heater the furnace everything else just because we couldn't sell the house in the state it was in yeah. you know we, we, we could but wouldn't gotten much for it and uh And then we found the pipes. My grandfather had a concrete floor poured into the basement, and he was short. And when I walked around the basement, I was always hitting my head on the beams. And I'd say, why is our basement so short? And Walt told me, well, when your grandfather had the floor poured for the basement, he told the guys, just make sure you cover up the pipes because the pipes ran along the dirt. Well, they put a lot of concrete into that floor. And I had to cut off those pipes with Luke Bauer because we were going to rerun them. All kinds of pipes were laid down inside the where well, you can't get at them. You know? <laughs> so, yeah.
0: so that was, anyway. Anyway, we should oh, move on. The things that you that you do to a house that you jerry rig and then you live with it. And then you live with it. And so you don't you're not even thinking about the <laughs> fact anymore that and no there's one else a, would ever live with them. Yeah, right. <laughs> that there's a pipe that comes out of the wall here and goes down. go to duck there. And, and there's a wire that you drill the hole and it comes up through the closet <laughs> and the foyer, you know, and then goes yep. across and through the back wall into this.
1: Like we, we had mice. <laughs> we had mice and so Walt they want to put traps out because you'd hear a mouse trap go in the middle of the night and then the mouse would wiggle around in the trap and it would be a horrible thing to listen to so instead he put a stuffed owl in the basement because mm. he figured the mice would see the stuffed owl and run away yeah. right and <laughs> <laughs> so tessie tessie who never goes in the basement because oh, she's man. afraid of mice never she goes down in the basement and screams because there's an owl in the basement
2: <laughs> the owl didn't work though, right No, the owl no, didn't okay. work at all the oh,
1: mice, didn't, mice would they were, even, they're blind they were, anyway they were nibbling on the yeah. owl they liked the owl yeah. but at least they kept them in the basement so they could nibble on the owl <laughs> right there's no owl upstairs
0: <laughs> well this is a great first episode of a new season so uh thanks everybody for doing this it's uh these things are so cathartic for me. They really are. I always walk away feeling a little bit better than I did when I came in. It gives you a chance to think about things that you need to think about. Kinda of puts things in a in a perspective that's it's bearable. I wonder if our houses miss us when we leave our houses. That's the only other thing. Do they miss
1: us? I don't, I don't
0: think the houses miss us. <laughs> Buddy, are you kidding me? You wrecked me. You, 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 you put pipes through the wall. You drilled holes in my floor. We're waiting for more people. <laughs> <laughs> you put a dead owl in the basement. <laughs> oh, man. Well, all right, folks. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And uh, we'll see you next week. What's next week's story, Chuck? Uh,
1: without knowing any prayers. That's next week's story, and it's a, there's a nice little dialogue in there, Walt and Tessie talking about prayer.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Meet you on the back porch again. Take care, folks. And now for a word from our favorite sponsor, the Montgomery Book Exchange. It's your hometown used bookstore located at 61A Clinton Street in the heart of the Montgomery, New York Business District. Folks, you're going to love the book exchange. This is a place where great books survive the test of time, where you can enjoy a book read by readers a generation before you. You might even find notes in the margins giving you an insight as to what mattered most to that previous reader. That's how the Montgomery Book Exchange turns a great book into a shared experience. And the Montgomery Book Exchange is known throughout the Hudson Valley and beyond for innovations like their 20 for $20 book stacks or their intimate author readings and signing experiences. How about their member-driven book club selections and book club talks? Their monthly Zoom and in-person book auctions? And Handmade Montgomery. This is a wonderful event featuring local artisans and hundreds of beautiful handmade crafts and keepsakes. And how about getting store credits in the form of book bucks? Bring your well-loved or gently used books in for a store credit. Now, it's closed on Mondays, but it's open Tuesdays through Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and on Sunday from 12 noon to 4 p.m. Want more information? Just go to montgomerybookexchange.com or call them at 845-764-1787. That's 845-764-1787. Now, there's one more thing. They even have a special location at 8th Factory Street dedicated to your young readers. They call it the Children's Chapter, and it features a reading garden where your children can discover the joy of reading in a wonderful and stimulating learning environment. Now, my kids are all 30-something now, but I have four beautiful grandchildren, Jimmy, Sienna, Stella, and JJ, and I'm bringing all four of them down to the Children's Chapter. Also at this location, you'll find Miss Claire's Music Cupboard, featuring the award-winning, research-based kinder music program. The Children's Chapter is open Wednesdays through Saturdays. Check the website for specific class times that match your child's age. You can contact the Children's Chapter at 845-522-9652. MontgomeryBookExchange.com, your hometown used bookstore. You're going to love this place. listening to Backport Stories with Chuck Stead. The song that you hear at the beginning and the end of the episode is Flyers Rag, composed by Mr. Scott Lewis. Our producer is Joe Serino, and our cover photography is done by Karen Serino. We'll be back with another episode each Friday morning, so please subscribe, click the like button, share with family and friends, and join us each week for another Backport Story.